Today on the Travel Royally Podcast, we have Miss Angela Ornsby. She is a very decorated former UGA golfer. She got to spend some time on the LPGA, playing 10 majors, 3 opens. Uh, can't wait to hear it. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of the Travel Royally Podcast. Today, we're very excited to have with us Angela Ormsby. Angela's a teaching professional at White Oak Golf Club, where truth be told, she's my instructor, albeit reluctantly. Uh, Angela attended the University of Georgia from 98 to 2002, um, and she racked up a ton of accolades as a member of the golf team. She was the South Region Freshman of the Year in 1999, SEC Golfer of the Year in 2002. She was twice uh, an NCAA All-American in 99 and 2001. Uh, she was named to the All-SEC team and the All-Academic SEC team four years in a row. And she helped the Lady Bulldogs to two SEC championships and a national championship in 2001. And then after graduation, Angela went out on the LPGA, where she competed for seven consecutive years before retiring from play in 2010. She competed in 10 majors throughout her career on the LPGA Tour, including three British Opens that we'll hear about today. She was also the head women's coach at Point University, and she's been a golf instructor at multiple clubs around Georgia. Angela, welcome to the Travel Royally podcast. Thank you so much. And it's not reluctant that I teach you. You you show up with a smile on your face every time. Well, that's true. We always have fun. And uh, at the end, I'm sure I'll ask if a, if a shoulder turn is important to the golf swing. I'm still confused on that, but... Hip turn. Hip, Hip turn. turn. Okay. Look, you didn't even remember it was yesterday. <laughs> I'm not that well, I remember it's my hips, but that turns my shoulders. Anyway, <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. How did you come to play golf in the first place? Um, Actually, I started golf or rehab. Um, I broke my shoulder when I was um, 10 years old. And the doctors, they, they said I should play golf or tennis. My dad recreationally played every once in a while. So I was like, okay, I'll play golf. It was literally that random because I was a dancer. I wanted to be a cheerleader um, while I was cheering at the time. And um, I rode horses. So golf was not on my radar. Um, but I think uh, life gives you other plans. And uh, next thing I know, I started playing golf. The very first time I played a hole with my dad, it was a par three. I made a par. So, yeah, go figure. Uh, probably I topped a, topped a shot off the, you know, obviously the front tee box and then chipped it up or topped it again, probably, or somewhere up by the green. And then I chipped it in. So, um, needless to say, after that, I kind of, I got the bug. I mean, as any golfer knows, yeah. when you catch that bug, it's hard to stop. You just, yeah. you know, I, I love chasing the inevitable, which you can't ever get to. So how did you get so good so quickly? So think about that between the time you were 10, at 17, you got a, a full scholarship or around yeah. 17. So in a very short period of time, you became very competitive, it seems. Yes. I mean, I had I had huge amount of support from the club that I was at. And and my parents were massive at, at encouraging me, never demanding, just encouraging. And I don't know. I just, I'm that type of personality where if I'm going to do something, I like to be the best at it. Yeah. Uh, I like to, I like to get the best out of myself and others, which is why I love teaching now. Um, and I just worked hard. I mean, I, I tell every lesson, including yours, as you know, if you want to get better, there's no short, there's no shortcut. You have to practice. You have to, you have to attempt to, to work on that. So, right. yeah. Now, so you got good quickly. Yes. Um, you got recruited by, uh, UGA where you went and had a great career, but were you recruited elsewhere? Yes, I was actually, um, I was top 10 in the nation, um, as a junior. So I've played in the junior Ryder cup. You didn't know this at Valderrama, yeah. um, is where the Ryder cup wow. was. I didn't get to play Valderrama. Um, but I got to go watch cause it was the first, you know, now they call it obviously the junior Ryder cup, the it's all boys, but yeah. the very first one was a mix of boys and girls. And um, we went over there and we played Great Britain and Ireland just as normal. And um, I I can't remember the golf courses. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but I'll look it up and I'll have to tell you. Um, but we were victorious. We had a great time. 
Um, it was my first time playing in Europe and I would have been 16 when I, I went over there. And so, yeah, I, I was, I was lucky enough to be recruited all across the country. Wow. That's fantastic. I had no idea about the junior Ryder cup. That was, uh, that must've been amazing. It was, it was the first time I had ever seen golf at a level where I was like, oh, this is not just something people randomly go and play on the weekends. Like this is when you go to Europe and you watch golf fans, like that's a whole other level yeah, yeah. of golf enthusiasts. And that was the first time I was like, oh, this is fun in front of everybody. So, yeah, yeah so I, I um, th- I mean, I, this is when they had those telescoping. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Those cardboard like boxes with the mirrors. Yes. And you looked yeah. over, they gave every one of us that um, we had reserved seating in, in, on like the first tee and the 18th green. Um, and so, you know, with at the time, I guess it was eight of us from the, from America and eight of us from GBI. Um it was really cool. We got to have a lot of relationships formed during that time. Yeah. Excellent. That's very cool. I had no idea. So <laughs> you had a wonderful career at UGA national championship, all American several times. What's your fondest memory of playing golf at UGA? Well, I mean, national championship. National championship. And, and honestly I had, um, I had a coach my first two years that was incredible and she made golf fun, but she also knew that you had to work hard if you wanted to accomplish your goals. So probably the fondest memory was I was telling somebody this the other day is that we were at regionals. We were, we were expected to win regionals. We had just won the sec championship and we played horrible. I mean, like awful. We were like, she's going to be so mad. We get in the van. She's not saying a word. We're all looking at each other like nobody talk, nobody say anything. Well, she starts driving and she pulls over at this random elementary school. And we're like, oh, my gosh, she's about to go at us. I don't know. And she never got mad. Like that was one of those things. She wasn't a angry coach in any way. But she pulls over, turns around in her seat and she goes, you guys, it's just a round of golf calm down. Y'all all get out of the van, go swing on the swing set here at the elementary school and have fun. Like, remember that we're just playing golf. It's a round of golf. This is not like, this isn't very, anything super major that is going to define you as a person. She goes, let's go have some fun, relax. We're going to go get ice cream, go eat. And then tomorrow we'll come back and we'll play. We won regionals that year. So, I mean, it just is a good reminder for me. That's probably my best memory. And I tell that to juniors, it's just a round of golf. Like, and it's yeah. even when, even when you're playing professional, even, you know, obviously the, the U S women's opens on at Pebble beach right now, we've got the, all of the, the opens over, over in Europe coming up at the end of the day, when you get done, you go home to your family, you go home to your animals, you go home to, you know, what the real world is. We're only on here. We're only here for a limited amount of time. So let's just enjoy it and find yeah. little bits of memories. Don't get me wrong. Winning's fun though. <laughs> well, you know what? So you you um for people who don't know, Angela's married to another teaching professional, Todd Ormsby. He played golf at NC State. But how does Todd feel about being the second or maybe third best golfer in his family? Well, he would argue that he's not. <laughs> um because he Wait, Laney's has- first. Laney's first. You, yes. And then her. And then yes. her. Um, no, actually, um, I don't know, even we've got the other three older kids that are all really good at themselves with golf, you know, he, yeah, but he is, wasn't an all American and he didn't win and an NCAA title. He won when he was a junior, he won three, uh, American junior golf association events in a row, which had never really been done before. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure now with all these golfers, who knows what the records are and stuff, but, um, no, he was, I mean, he was a top, he played, he was a top 20 player, top 10 player in the, in the country when he, Oh, he's a good player. I, don't get me wrong. I, he's still a good player. The last time we played, he did beat me. So I guess we could honestly say I, I did attempt a shot. I may have overhooked it, went into the water, made a double. It happens. So whatever. I've lost that one. Okay. But, um, so you you had this great career in college. What was the transition like to the LPGA? Um, <laughs> um, 
I had a good first year. I think I was almost too naive to understand what was going on. Uh, as, as I look back, I just kept going out there and playing golf. Um, the, the girls were so accepting. They were awesome to be around. We had such a great time. Um, and it was girls that I had never known before. So, or ladies, girls, whatever. Um, I loved it. It was so much fun. I think my second, third and fourth year is when I kind of was trying to be better and fix golf swings that weren't really broken. They were already mine. So, I mean, as you know, when I teach golf now, I, I want people to own their own golf swings and there is no, you know, perfect swing anymore. Um, Other than mine, yours, my the top move is. It is, okay. it is, it is something we're working on. <laughs> A lifetime work in progress. Um, sure. So no, the, the, the transitioning, I mean, can you ever be prepared when you transition anything in life? Pretty much right. no. I mean, right. So like, it's just, you learn as you go. Um, but thankfully it's, it's a great community. The LPGA is amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you, I'm glad you said that. I, I played in, and I, I think you and I talked about it, about this and you probably, I, well, I know you played in the event. I didn't know you then, but what used to be the Chick-fil-A that they played at Eagles landing here in Atlanta, I played in that in the pro-am twice. And, um, I'd also played in a PGA event up in like the greater Milwaukee open. And in that, in that pro-am, they segregated you away from the pros, right? They like said, you hit down here and, and, um, you know, your pro we'll put you together with your pro on the first tee. And he was wonderful. Brian Henniger was a two-time winner on tour. We had a great day with him, but when I went to the play with the LPGA women, um, I mean, I'm standing on the practice green next to Annika Sorenstam and some of my heroes. And then you go up to the range, you're hitting right next to them. They're talking to you. They're friendly. The, I mean, I was blown away at how accessible they were. And it was wonderful. I mean, and it's still, it still is. That's what I think makes, and forgive me, I've not been out there, you know, in years, but I just think that the LPGA players, they get it. We, we need our fans, right? So without the fans, we don't have anybody else to come out and watch without that. We don't have sponsorships. So um, I think they all, I think everybody got it. And it's also fun when you get to engage with the crowd, right? Like um, I have had, I've formed lifelong friendships with going up and talking to a little girl, this sounds weird, right. but little girls like randomly standing on at the range or on the side of the, there's two specifically that I have been friends with forever. One is now in the golf industry and just became an assistant coach over in um, South Carolina. So, at, you know, when you watch that progression and you watch and did I have anything to do with it? I don't know. But going up to see a little girl sitting in, in her cute little U.S. kids outfit and saying hi. Yeah. Becomes a friendship and, you know, over well, an inspiration to them. Right. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I remember I-, I was taking my girls to the LPGA events because I wanted them to see great role models, you know, right. great women, strong women, independent women. Um and and I wanted them to know that anything is possible. If you want yeah. to do this, you could do this. I, I, I did. I wasn't pushing them towards golf. I just wanted them to meet strong women. And LPGA tour is full of them. Yeah, I was actually I was on a conference call yesterday with a whole bunch of um, the female pros within Invited, which is a company I'm um, that I'm kind of under the umbrella. And we were all talking about kind of like these little things that kind of matter. And I, and I was telling all the the ladies, I said, I was always told, you never know where the next U S open champion is coming from. You never know where the next British open champion is coming from. You don't know that. So just always be aware that it could be the one person you send a text to, to encourage them after a bad round or uh, congratulations after a good round, you know? So right. um, we're in an industry where words and actions matter and so make them all positive. <laughs> yeah, That's my- I agree. Now, yeah. you had a long run on on tour. Seven years is a long time. I don't know what the average is for a, for a woman that gets to the, the LPGA tour. I, I'm certain that it's less than seven years. So yeah. what led to your longevity? 
Um, I had to go back to Q school a couple of times. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you made actually, it. I did. I actually was talking to Todd about that. We were watching the Q school um, event on uh, TV back in the, in the fall. And yeah, I don't know. I always played good at Q school. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why like that event specifically, I kind of rose to, to my peak. Um, I did, I played okay in, in the majors. I never, I mean, I, I, I played good at some, every one of them I played good at one point. Um, I think it's just, I had a great support staff. I had a great, um, when I say support, it's not like what we have now, which right, is like, this right, right. my support staff was my mom, my dad, my sister, um, <laughs> and my people from my club back home, yeah. uh, you know, not, not, well, not, you had some good sponsors too, right? Yeah, I did have some good sponsors. Um, very, very loyal to, to me. Um, loved representing them. You know, I'll shout out one of them was Marathon Petroleum, who, you know, now is with um, Stacey Lewis. Um, that was one of my favorites. Like, they were awesome. I got, I got to go to, down pit row multiple times at different, um, at different races. Um, I had a couple of pharmaceutical companies. I had Adidas and TaylorMade who were awesome, um, Titleist with golf balls. So, um, I, I mean, I had some great sponsors over the years. Well, you know, one thing that stands out when I tell people about you, um, because I want to build up your credibility is, you know, <laughs> one of the things I say, well, you know, one season she led the LPGA tour in sand saves, which means you were great out of the sand. What do you yeah. see in most amateurs that that uh, caused them to not play well out of the sand? Um, a lot of head movement that goes up and down a lot. And so like when you're when you're hitting out of the bunker, start paying like watch these these tour players. They stay super level. So they might be rotating, but their head never goes up and down, which means their strike at the ball underneath the sand is consistent. Right. You're consistently taking the same amount of sand out of the bunker, then you can consistently have confidence that you're going to get out of the bunker. Right. When you try to lift a ball out of the bunker, that ball is bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. Over the bunker. <laughs> you just described my sand game. No, I'm kidding. I we, we do need to work on that. I'm struggling with sand <laughs> lately, but I, I, I have I, I would say I've chipped in out of the sand more than my share. And, yeah. and as recently as God, I, I want to say in January, February, on number one at Braylon, I was okay. sh short left in the sand. And 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 the pin was tight to where I was, and uh, I one hopped one just perfect into the hole. And then listen to this, so that goes in. My buddy, who's my partner in this round, is in the back bunker. He hits it in. Oh no way! Yeah, on top of my ball. You're like, what are the odds of two guys that are ten plus handicap? Very very limited. <laughs> birdieing right for out of the sand. It was amazing. That's awesome. Anyway, well, you played in 10 uh, majors in your career on the LPGA Tour, including three British Opens. Um, mm -hmm. And you played, if I'm not mistaken, you played once at Sunningdale and twice at Royal Lytham. What was what was that like, being able to play in in England? Um, I mean, incredible. I... I, I... <laughs> I don't even have enough other words for you. Todd and I constantly talk about, and I've talked to you about this, is going back over there um, and playing. There's there's just so many courses. It's I mean, obviously you have Royal Lytham behind you and all of those lovely bunkers. And um, it was incredible. I made the cut once um, when I had Royal Lytham, did not make the cut at, at Sunningdale. And then the second time I played um Royal Lytham, but I have a funny story because I don't I don't even know if I've told you this one. So how many bunkers are at Royal Lytham? It's like like 170. Stupid so, amount of numbers. Yeah. Like stupid, right? So I'm not exaggerating. I think it's 170. No. That's not an yeah, exaggeration. It's like, no, I know. It's like it's unbelievable how many bunkers. And like, and they've always said that if you need need to play, if you want to play well at Royal Lytham, you can't hit in the bunkers. You have to limit those because typically you're you're going backwards because right. it'll roll right underneath the, the the lip and you can't go forward you have to go backwards so i had made the cut i get to 18 of the fourth round i have not hit it in a bunker yet 
When I say not hit in a bunker, I'm talking all about week. I have all week. That's Tiger-esque, right? Until 18, when I hit my drive into the fairway bunker. Have to turn oh, out. Oh, man. Almost, I know that bunker. Almost hit it We're out down of the bounds. right side, right? Oh my God! And I could only go. I could only go backwards. I almost hit it out of bounds because I hit it too hard out of the bunk. It was. I think I made a triple on the last hole on my last day. I'll tell you what. Well, I played there. I've played there a couple times, and it's it's probably been it's been more than ten years since I played there. But that bunker on the right was left in its like original condition, meaning it had the big tall grass sticking out of it. Yes. And if you look at the ones behind me, they're finely groomed. This was like a a big bunker that was really gnarly. That bunker over my this right here. Yes. Uh, I, I've got a great photo of a friend of mine in there um, who was like a five handicap at the time who had um, he got up and down at it. But it makes for a great picture because what you can't see from there is he's probably 6'2 and looked like he was four feet tall standing down in the depths of it, right? I mean, um, yes. I remember the first practice round at Royal Lytham, and I, I don't know which hole it was. Gosh, I just remember it was on the right side of a green. And I'm like, I turned to my caddy, which is a whole nother story. Um, I, I turned to my caddy, he's like, oh, I want to try this bunker. And he's like, why? You're not going to get out. I think I attempted it five times and I could never get out of it. I'm like, okay, don't go there this week but i remember also getting up on one of the holes and him looking at me his name was rose massive rose tattoo tattoo on his neck and i'm who knows he probably is still there caddying because i do because a lot of us use local caddies when we went over to the british right? right because why not and um what and i get over there and he goes okay i need you to aim it over that bunker and i go but the hole goes that way and he goes, yeah, no, you need to aim that way over that bunker. I'm like, wow, I'm paying a local guy to tell me to hit it off the world. Wow, he was correct every time. And that's why I played well, because he literally just said, go that way. And I went that way or go that way. And I went that way. And yeah. I didn't have to think. And that's probably why I played yeah. such good golf. Because, again, like I said, my first couple of years, I was naive to really how hard these golf courses yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so that's why, well, like when you see the amateurs, that's probably why they play sometimes good in these opens or they're just naive. They don't even know what's going on. Yeah. Well, you know, we had, we had two people on the other day um, and we're going to have them on the, on the podcast during open week. It was a father and son. And, and at the end, I always ask what advice you have for someone going over to play for the first time, like they did. And he said, you got to pay attention to your caddy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you just have to hit it where they tell you to. They know the course like the back of their hand. It, you're, you can't, you're not smarter than the caddy who's walked that course, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times. And right. what's interesting, Angela, if you went back to Royal Lytham, you've played it. I mean, if you played it two practice rounds plus four rounds in the tournament, that's six. And then the mm -hmm. previous time where you didn't make the cut, you played it two at least two practice rounds and two turnarounds. Yeah. You played it ten times, right? Which is uh, which is phenomenal. And I, it'd be interesting for you to go back and um, see how much the course has changed and see what you can do. Because um, I know a, a, a flood of memories would come back, right? Yes, but I would not be as good as it was then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd keep it out of the bunkers. <laughs> yeah. But I would love I would love to go back and play. I'd love to go back and just bounce it off the back of the, the clubhouse, you know, right behind there just for the fun of it, just like I've done before. Well, yeah. you know, back then, um, there wasn't all the money that there is on the LPGA Tour. And I know the travel must have been expensive. What led yeah. you to want to play in in the British o Women's British Open? Why, why well, I, I, I understand, but I know there's a reality of like, this is going to cost a fortune because it's oh, you just do you it. and your mom and yeah, you just do yeah. it. No, you just do it. I mean, you just, you get the flight, you book the hotels, you, or, you know, they don't have hotels in rural of them. <laughs> it's, it's like, you, know, you bought, they are, but I don't know if I would call that a hotel. You book a room. Yeah. 
out and you hope to find one where you get your own private bathroom. Um, thankfully, I was able to do that. Um, but the fun here's a fu- here's a funny story for you. First time, never been over. Well, I mean, I've been overseas when I played the Junior Ryder Cup. But mom and I decide we're going to fly in a day early. We're going to drop all of our stuff off over at Royal Lytham in that place in that kind of hotel, and then we're going to take the train into London. And we're going to spend a day in London thinking, uh, you know what? And then we'll just find a hotel because, you know, we're from the United States. We just find a hotel, right? Because that is how my mind works. We're just going to find a hotel when we get to London. We'll stay one night and then we'll come back the next morning and uh, whatever. So I think we flew in on a Saturday. So we go go to London. London was beautiful. It was awesome. We just walked. It was, I mean, we had the random rain shower. We got all of the food. We saw the sights. Some just literally just randomly went places. Well, then it started to become nighttime. And we're like, we finally realized, wow, I don't see any hotels like there are in the United States. What are we going to do? Like, we don't, the train has stopped going back to over across, like can't go back. You know, this is before the days of Ubers and all that crazy yeah. stuff. Taxis. I'm not paying for that. That's insane. We were like, oh my gosh, we're just going to have to sleep on the streets in, in London. Like we didn't have a place. We finally found somebody in a in the subsystem that they're like, oh, you need a hotel. And we're like, yeah, we need a hotel. Spent a fortune on a hotel for this one night. And they're like, oh, you're going to have um, you're going to have a, a view of the London Bridge. And I'm like, wow. OK, cool. So <laughs> we get to the hotel, you open the windows and it's a brick wall. It's wow. a view of the, of the London Bridge. It's just, that is the London Bridge. It's just a brick wall. Like, like, literally, open the windows, there's a brick wall. We laughed so hard at, I'm like, oh, that's that's marketing at its finest right there. That was going to have a view. I'm going to have that's a view great. of the London Bridge. Oh, we did. It was just a big old brick wall. But yeah. it, I mean, it, I did my mom and I laugh about that to this day of like, now we have plans. Now we put plans into place so that we have a place to stay anytime we go places. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, well, you played at Sunningdale as well, which is a yeah. venerable English club that dates back well over 120 years. What were your impressions of Sunningdale? Beautiful, beautiful course. Um I actually was hitting my irons extremely well that week. Same with my putting. Gosh, I played good, but I could not keep my driver in play. Like it was everywhere. And again, on 18, I missed the cut, but 18, the second day, hit it into oblivion. And you know how we sometimes may or may not get mad and we just kind of bounce our club onto the ground. Well, I did. My head snaps off. The entire tournament, I had a weak shaft that had probably come off the airport. Oh, yeah. And I probably, most likely after talking to TaylorMade and all them, you know, I probably had a, a uh, something go wrong with, because it was so random. It was the only club I could not hit straight. Yeah. And um, you can't really play opens without. Yeah. I had something that. similar happen. Um, we went to... I was going to play, I took some, I, we took a group over and we played with them in Wales. And then we went up to Royal Lytham. And so we kind of went up the West coast of the UK and the first day I get on the first tee, my first swing with the driver, I hit the ball and then the club head flies off. Yeah. So what hat, what had happened was to your driver and mine that in that overnight or, you know, overseas travel, it got compromised. Yep. in the bag and you know what was interesting mine broke which was a which was a good which turned out to be great for me i couldn't afford a driver so i just hit three wood and we played a tournament that week for low net for the week mm-hmm. i beat eight well seven other guys for the week with not hitting anything but three wood off tees because i didn't have a driver if that if yours had broke on the first day you there may have been a different outcome for you um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we would have figured out a driver, you know. Oh, yeah, you would have had a, you, they had, you would have gotten a new driver or, hell, yeah. you could have switched to a three wood, which you would have hit better than oh, a, without a, a wild doubt. driver. Yeah. Without a doubt. Now, like hindsight's twenty twenty, I wish that I would have actually hit more three woods, but, you know, we're stubborn and we think that we can fix it on the golf course, just like yeah. anybody else can. Yeah. Well, how did you prepare 
you know, knowing that you're going to go over there, knowing that you need a different ball flight or yeah. how did you prepare for playing golf? Uh, Lynx golf is an example when you went to Royal. You know, it, it's um, I tried to find golf courses at the time that were, that would have a lot of wind because I knew that it was going to be windy. I knew that we're going to have the ability, the possibility of the elements. So I found every golf course that I could around me that, um, that was link style or had fast greens or had wind. And at the time and still do, there's a golf course down the road from us. Um, Todd and I used to actually um, teach out of there and work out of there. It's the fields golf club. Um, I'm giving them a free prop, which, because I really do love their golf course. Um, it's a, it's a link style course. So I remember going up there specifically and playing so that I could get, the wind and I could get some of those figuring out how to bump and run because yeah. if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to take a, a seven iron or an eight iron from 30 yards away and just let it bump all the way up to the, onto the green. Yeah. I mean, there is no flying it to these holes. There is no flop shots. Like it is, right. you have to be so much more imaginative around these greens and you have to take bogeys. You have to know that bogeys are okay. Yeah. You know, that they're not going to, they're not going to hurt you. So Yeah. Well, you know what? It's kind of interesting. It's what the USGA recently did or evidence of that in the handicap system now for us amateurs, which is they they adopted part of what the UK was already doing, which was that they take into account the course conditions that day when they calculate your handicap. It's not just about how did I play against standard stroke index? It's how did everybody play that day? Because if it's windy as can be and and the average score is 92, and normally it's 85 as an example, um, that it's not going to adversely affect your handicap. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's fascinating that you you thought ahead and and did that. Now, your experience over there, how was the Women's British Open different from other majors that you played here in the U.S. and Canada? Different food. (laughs) <laughs> it always I, comes back to food no. i remember going there and because we were um ours was sponsored by weedabix and i'm like oh weedabix it's just cereal i'm gonna try this nothing against weedabix but that was not my cup of tea literally um i learned how to drink tea um the british way you know with milk and and sugar so that's actually the only way that i drink tea like hot tea now um it, it was just um, fish and chips became my best friend. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. 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 You, we, it, it became one of those. Let me find the best fish and chips we could. Um, you know, it, it, it's just different golf. It's just a different atmosphere. It's different people. Um, I found everybody to be, ex- you know, extremely kind. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I knew that we were Americans. We knew we were there for, for the tournament. Um, but you know, we just had a really good time. And I'd probably say, actually, I'm in a, for any of your, any of your um, customers, any of your friends that go overseas, pack accordingly, literally pack for every single season. Yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid. Right. And because that's one thing that somebody had told me, cause I'm like, there's no way it's July. I do not need to bring a sweater and a beanie overseas. Yeah. I don't need to do that. Like, I promise you, please bring it. And I'm like, all right, fine. I did. Oh, thank goodness I did. Yeah. Because we had a day. We had a day of it freezing and cold yeah. and then rain. I mean, I did the whole umbrella to the side, walking yeah. down the fairway. And oh, yeah. I mean, you you just, you get it all. So, yeah, that's probably the best advice. That's, good. that's great advice. Now, I got a question. I want to go back to something. You you said yeah. you had the caddy named Rose at Royal Little. Yeah. Was he your caddy both times you played there? Yeah. Oh, excellent. So when I knew I would, I had made it the second time I had called over there and, and, and basically, you know, um, hired him or reserved him from, from the caddy master yeah. and he was incredible. Um, and this time I knew that he needed to be paid after every round. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, the first time, because, you know, American caddies, you just give them a check at the end of the week. No big deal. The first time I, I had Rose, Rose kind of came to me after the first round. He's like, Hey, do you, um, you have my money? I'm like, um, no, I was going to change it out. So we always had like our own cash 
person at every event that would cash out our checks and especially when we were over in Europe or overseas so in like when we went to Mexico and they would cash it out into local money yeah. um, so we wouldn't have to go to a bank we basically had our own bank within LPGA yeah uh, I forgot that we used to do that that's weird um but so I went and I was like oh I normally go at the end of the week and I don't have it and he, he was not a happy camper um, because they are expected to pay. He goes, I need my money so I can go to the pub. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, hold on. Um, and so we scraped together everything we had like in um, euros at the time. And he was paid accordingly. And, you know, Excellent. You know, he that's was taking care of it. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. But yeah, that's a funny thing that I remember just now. Uh, but overall, you, enjoy, you enjoyed the whole experience over there. Not oh. just playing golf, but everything yeah from from uh i i also and i don't know i don't know now but i remember we first first restaurant my mom and i went went into um got fish and chips and we wanted to leave a tip and they were offended that we were leaving a tip yeah and um, i'm like what and so then the waitress came over and was like uh you don't do tipping over here it's included in the cost and i'm like i had no idea yeah like they literally got offended that we wanted to give them more money I was like, okay, I won't tip you. <laughs> I don't know how it is now. Is it the same no, way? No, it's still like, the same way. Them? Yeah, it, yeah, it's funny because that's one of the things we talk to our clients about, about what to expect and what things are different over there. Right. And one of the things we talk about is tipping. Uh, the, the people that do accept tips are typically caddies. Yes. Bellhops in hotels. And if you're in St. Andrews, there are some pl- there are restaurants there. They cater to Americans and, and, and everyone tips there. But other right. than that, I, you know, you don't have to tip. They don't expect it. And they certainly don't expect 20%. Right. Or 15% like we do here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one was, that one was one of those things that caught me off guard. It's funny. You're making me remember all these things. Yeah. Well, let's go back to your uh, time on tour. Um, you got to play with, you know, for people that became your friends and stars of the LPGA, who is the best golfer that you played with um, on tour? And you know what I'm talking about, where you play with someone who's who you think is wow, this this person's better than I am. I know you're trying to beat them every time, but you're there, there had to be time. Like when people play with Tiger Woods, right? Or yeah, 15 years ago they go, uh, you know, this guy's clearly like the world's best golfer. Oh, that's Annika, 100%. Whenever you saw her name on the leaderboard, you're like, okay, all right, there she goes. She's going off now. Okay, bye-bye, Annika. Um, but she was really sweet. Fun, fun, funny story here about Annika is my first ever, this is US Open week for the women. Um, and my first ever US Open I played in at Pine Needles. And the way that I didn't know how it worked. Uh, my dad called to get a tea time for, for my first practice round. And they said, does it matter? And he's like, no, just give me a tea time. Never went to check to see who I was playing with. I walk up to the first tee. I am, let's see, I would be 21 years old. First US Open. I had qualified on my own um, at a qualifier in Tennessee. Were you, were you still in college then? Yes. Yeah. So I qualified. Qualified, um, yes. So I, I went through the normal qualifying, just like you do. So now. you weren't a professional yet. No, this is uh-huh. a, no. I was just an amateur. Um, I actually was the low low qualifier at that um, at that qualifying site. See, there's something about qualifying sites. I don't know. I don't know you what do it well is. Do well at those. I do well at those. Um, but I walk up to the first tee. It's Annika Sorenstam, Charlotta Sorenstam, and um, oh my god. I'm afraid I draw a blank on her name. Anyways, and it's the sister of somebody I was playing with in college. And I walk up to T. I told him, I and my my teammate is caddying for me at the time. And I turn to my team and I go, Oh my gosh, what did we just do? <laughs> like, wow. It's going on. So we get up there, and Annika was extremely gracious, very nice. And she's like, Hey, do you want to play in our little game? And I'm like, yeah, but I have no money. I'm a college student. It's <laughs> the first thing I said. She goes, I got you. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. We, so we ended up playing an 18-hole match. Um, and I was Annika's partner. And we she won. Um, 
I mean, I'm sure I, I know I helped actually. I remember making a putt on one of the first couple holes for birdie and I made a birdie and, um, but just very gracious. Like I said earlier, the girls are literally, it's like a family. Um, yeah. and when I decided to retire, is one of the hardest things that you have to go through because this is like these are people that you have yeah. experienced life with you know yeah. some of them getting married some of them having babies some of them you know some of us losing I lost my dad during the whole thing uh, when I was on tour and being there for each other during that um you know there is there's nothing like that you can't can't really describe it. it's like taking a college team and like make it a hundred large yeah. right so um, they did a special on Sayri Pak the other day and how kind she used to be on tour. She was always kind to me. Yeah. I remember leaving the British Open. This is so funny. The Brit leaving Sunningdale, where we took the same van ride back to the hotel. I mean, not to the hotel, back to the airport. Well, they had double booked us because honestly, Sayri didn't actually book a spot. She just showed up and I mean, she was. You're not like, going to say no to her. You're not going to say no to Sayri. She was like number two in the world. I think she was right behind Annika. Like, you just don't say no to her. And, um, and so I remember sitting in the floorboard on the way to the airport because I was going to make sure that Sayri had a seat. <laughs> so. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, I have a similar story from another guy um, that we're going to have on the podcast during um, open week. Like it's going to air around the same time as yours. And this is a guy named Jim Payne. He's the head pro at a course not far from Lytham called Southport Nainsdale, but 1991, he would have been, he was an amateur. And so he was probably, I mean, he's probably in his early fifties now, but he would have been like 21 then. And he was playing, um, he played in the final round of the open. Mm -hmm. um, and his partner was Jack Nicholas. Now imagine that's like you, right? Playing in the final round of the U.S. Open with Annika, it'd be like, you know. So anyway, what happens is he um, he, he said the same thing. He's very gracious, nicest guy in the world, giving me tips, and um, so this guy won the silver medal for low amateur. He beat, beat Phil by four by four strokes to be low amateur. So wow. then. Flash, flash forward five years, um, he'd recently won the Italian Open, and um, he's playing in the Open Championship. He gets picked up by a van, and the van driver says, "We got one more stop. Do you mind? We're gonna we need to pick up one more person." Um, he's he uh, he's in the back of the van waiting for this guy to come on. It's Jack Nicholas. <laughs> Jack looks at him and goes, "Jim." How you been? How's your back? And he's like, how would he know that my uh, that he that I'd had back surgery and was coming back from that? Um, but it's a similar thing, like you know, getting in the van and you know making room for Jack and Barbara Nicholas or making room for say Repock. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, who's your favorite LPGA player to watch now? Do you have one? Oh, that's a hard one. Um to watch now oh they're so good <laughs> I oh, mean, no they're really fun to watch like i liked watching yesterday brooke henderson and just how she attacks the golf course yeah um obviously rosang is that swing is effortless um uh does it remind you of me when you see her do you think look effortless um great hip turn no? This is really pretty weather out here. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she swings with a stick through her belt loops. She may at times she have may. a coach. But she probably does have a coach that gets, you know, that demands uh, a high level of um, quality swings. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've got another question for you. Yeah. Are there any women still on tour? Because you've been retired now for 13 years. Do you have any friends still out on tour? Um, not ones that I necessarily talk to all the time, but um, Brittany Lincecum still plays um, some. Yeah. And um, Angela Stanford. I mean, can we just 
talk about how the longevity of her yeah. and how amazing that she's been playing. Um, yeah, I mean, she just won the, the senior uh, LPGA championship last week and and then comes out yesterday. I think she shot four over yesterday, um, which is still really good on that golf course. I yeah. mean, it's not it's pebble during the U S open. Um, so, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of girls that, that I know out there anymore. Um, but it's fun to watch. It's fun to just, it's fun to just watch how it is a global tour. And, um, yeah. I have friends, that are, I have friends that are teaching all over the world. I have a lot of friends that are teaching, um, over in Asia and to watch all of a lot of their players starting to get on the LPGA tour. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a grassroots effort of, of, of helping the, the tour kind of keep succeeding. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch. I love where the commissioners have been taking it over the last many years. Um, they've just done a really good job of learning how to market such a, a niche uh, of a, uh, of a sporting, a sporting event, um, you know, cause we are different than a PGA tour. And um, you know, a lot of people always say, they watch the LPGA because their swings, their, their swing speeds, the distance they can hit the ball is much more relatable. I mean, who really can hit it 320 off of a tee, yeah. right? Like that's nice. that's not relatable for 99% of the people out there. Yeah, but you know who my favorite is um, on the LPGA tour other than you? Who's that? I got another, I've got someone you played with, Laura Davies. Oh, fun to watch. How good is she? Dang. Holy cow. She's over 50 and she's still competitive. So fun story in Chicago, playing with her for the first time, first time ever, never played with her before. I've seen her. I'd already been on tour a couple of years. She's never been paired with her. She tees it up on the first hole. And after she hit, she looked at me, she goes, Oh, I play ready golf. If you're not ready to go, I'm going. I'm like, okay, no problem. Go ahead. I'll tell you what. She plays fast. She's Holy my cow. favorite player. I swear to God. I love watching her play. I love on par threes how she takes her heel and kicks up, <clears throat> doesn't use okay. it, kicks up the okay. dirt, puts her. I love that. I I love everything about her. She is so, and she bombs it. Bombs it. Yes. I With mean, a swing that you wouldn't normally think that could hit it that far. Yeah. But um, yeah, she actually, I'm pretty sure that she had a home that was over by Sunningdale because I think it was Sunningdale. Or she lives just outside London, but she had um, she had a, everybody over to her house during the British um, to kind of like just have a good time. Well, I wouldn't say everybody. I happen to be friends with some of the caddies that were European. She's and really close with caddies. Very close yeah. with a lot of the caddies, yeah. and I may or may not have been dating one at the time. So I was part of that invite to go over there, and she had the coolest thing that she had at her house is she had televisions everywhere. She loves sports. Yes, everybody had a sport on. Like everyone, I'm talking about. It, it, this was before everybody had TVs in every room, right? Like that's yeah. not that everybody had. It was. I just remember being like, "Wow, she really loves sports." Yeah, she loves soccer. She loves. I mean, she loves auto racing, golf. I mean, she's Horse racing, all of it. She's a wonderful commentator. I mean, I, I we only get to hear her really during the Open Championship, but right. oh, I love her. She's like, she's awesome. She's my. I'd rather meet her than any other woman golfer other than you. She would have some of the best stories by far. Yeah, hands. Uh, and, and and what I love about her is just how genuine and how real she's always been. Like yeah. when she tells me, Hey, if you're not ready, I'm going like, I love that. Like I have now adapted that into my life, as you know, yeah. as your instructor, yeah. um, that I love um, being direct. That's a nice way. Of there saying. you go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I can be direct with you too. You have been direct with me. We will keep that one on the side. Um, let me ask this. What's your favorite, um, golf course in the world? Oh, I know this you... one's going to come out of nowhere. Okay. This one's going to come out of nowhere. Everybody's asked me that since I was forever, right? It's just one of those normal questions. I love Teton Pines in Wyoming, in Grand oh. Tetons. Teton Pines. Because it was a mix of a challenging golf course. The views were stupid amazing 
Yeah. Um, I played it when I was 18 years old. So I'm going way back. I've played was this a tournament or this is a tournament. So it was, it's called, it was called the Cannon cup. Now I think it's called the Wyndham cup with the AJGA. Yeah. Um, it's basically the top 10 from the East coast versus the top 10 from the West coast, both boys and girls. So there's 40 kids all playing at the same time. And um, I just absolutely loved that. Of course I haven't been back. Like I need to go back. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, I've not had anything that's ever really, I hate saying this, like made me say not because the course was challenging, but it was fair. Like, that's my biggest thing. I want to have a challenging course, but please don't make it stupid where people, you can't make a par, right? Like right. that you have to, I don't like lucky golf courses. Um, and just the view, right? Like every hole was gorgeous and it was, yeah. um, they had lots of native land, I remember. So that's probably my favorite of all time. Now, yeah. you, that, when you when you brought up playing in that, it reminded me of something. Did you ever play in a Curtis Cup? Yes. We played at um I played at Fox Chapel up in Pennsylvania. Um in two thousand and two. Yeah, two thousand and two. I played on the Curtis Cup team, which I'm very excited about the fact that the Curtis Cup is coming to um Pine Valley. And we always get invited back as previous players for like oh. events and stuff. And I was like, Hey, we're going to Pine Valley. So that's going to be on my, um, I'm sure the reunion there will be incredible. Just like the reunion they had the, um, USGA put on a reunion for all previous past, uh, us open winners, like women winners this past week. And a friend of mine, Hillary, um, Lunky, she actually just posted about it this morning. She's and I saw a major it on her winner, Facebook page. Right? Um, she is. That was actually 20 years ago when she played. She won out in that Oregon, Pumpkin Ridge. Um, in a playoff. Yeah, and she I played. In, it was that. the second day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I believe it was. Against, I believe it was against Angela Stanford. To be honest with you, because it was a big deal. Because these are like two. This was two of everybody's like really favorite people. Yeah. And Hillary actually was. Um, she qualified by going through local, which at that time, if you were in the top, I want to say if you were in the top 100 on the LPGA you didn't have to go through local qualifying. So it was a big deal that she had a tour card and still went through local um, and then ended up winning. And uh, I played golf with Hillary since we were juniors and then she played at Stanford. Um, But what an incredible, like, but it was kind of fun to see that the USGA put together this reunion. So I'm hoping that Curtis will do the same big thing. Oh, excellent. That's very cool. Pine Valley would be fun. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fun. Fun to see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be at the Open Championship in two weeks. That's awesome. I cannot wait to walk Royal Liverpool again. It, it's uh, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got a question for you. Um, tell us about your teaching now. I know that you're dedicated to teaching young people, especially girls, to love golf, but you also teach high schoolers, men and women. So tell us about um, your teaching practice. Yeah. So, um, I was coaching, like I said before, like you had said over at point university, which I loved the school, um, COVID came and I had at the time a four month old, we have a little, little girl. Um, we have three older kids, but then we, we had our nice little extra at the very end. Um, and it was just a bit too much for me, you know, nobody knew what was COVID and stuff like that. And so I kind of completely stepped away from the golf business for about, Oh, it was probably good about eight or nine months. And um, the gentleman I was working for at the time, he goes, Angela, you do know that your passion is out on that tee box. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, then go find it. Um, and I had been teaching on and off. I just needed a break away from golf in general. Like it, it had just been consuming me over all the years. And so I taught, you know, Todd and I were like, you know what? I really, my passion is to grow the game. My passion is to give people the opportunity to play golf just as I did. I'm not trying to make Honestly, I'm not trying to make U.S. Open winners out of everybody. I just want them to all, I want every golfer to have that moment and where it's like, ah, that's the shot, right? Because when you get to have that moment, you get to know the purity of the game. And so that's, that's my driving force when I'm, when I'm teaching golf is I'm invested. Um, I don't teach golf just to like fill my book, um, I'm not trying to teach 10 hours a day. Good nor exhausted. Five hours is my, is, is my, I've figured out is my, is my nice 
like that's my mm, I, I give everybody a hundred percent with my five hours of of teaching. I know that people be like, well, you could teach so much more and make so much more money. I'm like, yeah, that's that's great. But it's not what I'm about. I'm about trying to give this quality and this this that moment when I get to see it. It's like then for me, it's almost like me making a putt at the British Open and having the crowd roar. Right. Yeah. It's it's having those those that feeling and knowing that somebody knows what it's like to hit that pure shot. So that's kind of my um, my way about it. I've taught everybody in the last year. I've taught everybody from or many years four to eighty one. I taught an eighty one year old um, gentleman not too long ago um, that was an incredible golfer and could and shockingly enough, guess what we worked on turning. Oh my god. Well, people, so, if they get older, have their flexibility is not as good. No, you can still turn. It's no, hard. no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree. But it's harder. It is harder. I get it. But you're calling me old now. No. Sophisticated. Tenured. More tenured. <laughs> um, hey, I just color my gray. You're good. I, I got it in there. I just, I just, I just color that junk. Um, but, you know, I uh, I love teaching. Um, I love getting out there and helping. I, I do have a goal for myself. This is random. I don't know if I've told you this. So on the LPGA tour, when you turn 45, you can play in some, um, senior events. We kind of have a, a small little group. Um, I know I'll have the ability to qualify. I don't know how, how it actually works. Um, but my overall goal is when I turn 50. So we've got some years, not a lot, but we have some years, um, I would like to qualify for the U.S. Senior Women's Open. Yeah. And then once I've done that, I will have played in every USGA event I was capable of playing in. So that would be kind of cool. That'd, that girls, would be. Yeah. So U.S. Girls, U.S. Women's Amateur, U.S. Open, Curtis Cup, and then it would be this U.S. Senior Women's Open. Because at the oh. time, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to play in the pub links because I was a member of a private, uh, semi-private club. Right. Um. So yeah, so that's that a is, small list of people I would imagine that have played in in those all events, all of them, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that would be I would imagine it's a lot. So yeah. so that's my that's my ultimate goal. As my husband says, I should probably play more golf. <laughs> well, I can coach you on golf. I Perfect. based on everything you've taught me, I could give me around the course. Give you some tips. <laughs> Love it. Um, uh, I've got uh, just uh, one more question for you, and that is. For someone who's playing Lynx golf for the first time, yes. right? What advice do you have for them beyond being prepared for bad weather? Yes. Um, or good weather. Or good weather. Yeah. But what um, advice would you have for, for people? Most of the people we take over go over are going for the first time. I'd love for you to share what advice you might have for them. Um, honestly, go to your local pro. Tell them that you're going to be playing in it. Um, and ask them to help learn how to how to hit a proper bump and run. Excellent. Learn how to get a proper bump and run with the correct and learn how to use different clubs depending upon how far you need to fly it in the air. Um, because what you when you know how to do a proper bump and run, when you know how to use different clubs and ask them if you can do this lesson on the golf course, because you can find every golf course, you can find a, a, a uh, most golf courses, a golf hole that's not elevated, right? Right. Because that's what you don't have at British Opens in or over clubs overseas. You don't have the elevated greens. Um, you don't have the bump. You you just everything is kind of right there in front of you. So learning how to hit those shots, and then learning how to use the proper color golf ball so you can find it in the heather. Good plan. Because you're gonna Excellent. hit it in the heather. Well, and you want to have a caddy. That's probably another piece of advice. Take a caddy because. Pay for the caddies. Pay for it. Pay for them. Pay for them. Pay for them. Pay for them. It will make your life easier. You'll have more fun. The stories they have. Oh my gosh. The stories they have are just, and they'll tell you the local watering holes. They'll tell you the local places to go. Like trust them. Yeah. They are there for you. That's excellent advice. I couldn't agree more. So yeah. I lied. I've got one more question. Okay, I got you. And that is, uh, where and how can people find you so that they can improve their golf game? Yeah. So I'm in uh, Noonan, Georgia. 
um, at a club called White Oak Golf Club. Um, I'm also, my husband and I also do have uh, a YouTube channel. We haven't posted in a long time, but it's TAO Golf. Um, How Golf? TAO Golf. Yeah. So Todd and Angela Ormsby Golf. Um, we've always, this might be our little Kickstarter to start doing, we used to do challenges. So we used to do like little couple challenges and, and, uh, I think the last time I won because it was a, um, chipping challenge and I chipped in on them. <laughs> you didn't like it. Um, but, um, yeah, so we're going to try to do a little bit more of those just to make it fun. Um, but yeah, you can find me, you can find me at white Oak and try to find the, the TAO golf. I think we're also on Instagram as TAO golf. So. Excellent. Yeah. I'll well, link people, it. Once you link it, then I'll Well, I hope people um, do find you. You've been wonderful to work with. Um, obviously, when you moved away for a while and, and uh, I couldn't use you anymore, I went to someone else and, and they were good too. I, you know, I love that guy. But uh, the, the most success I had with a golf coach was you. And that's why I came back. So I appreciate everything you've done for my for my golf game. So let's well, get back down to a five again, and and uh, then I'll start paying you real money. Don't forget, you have to practice in between each one of our sessions. That damn word again, practice. There we go. <laughs> hey, Angela, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for investing your time with us today. It's been wonderful to have you. Can't wait to, uh, for others to see you and hopefully reach out to you. Sounds good. See you on the links. Okay, thanks. Thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, please like, share, subscribe, and we will see you next time. Thanks.